0: Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill be made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever.
1: My name is Joel Seymour, and uh, as Johnny said, the founding pastor here. Uh, some of you I know very well, some of you are newer to our church, and because of my travel schedule, I don't know you. I founded the church 25 years ago, and two years ago, stepped down to work for Vineyard USA, providing systems of care and support for pastors around the country. So I tend to travel a lot. You know, you're, you're a part of a bigger family uh, here at Lancaster Vineyard. You're part of this family. You're part of the Body of Christ in Lancaster, but you're also part of the Vineyard family. So Vineyard USA has 520 churches around the US, and something like 2,500 to 3,000 around the world. And so you're part of a bigger family like that too. And of course, you're part of the big C family, the big C church of all denominations, and we're part of the larger body of Christ too. So uh, we are part of something uh, big and universal and godly. And um, I work for one of those entities, Vineyard USA. Um, I just want to say before I jump into the teaching, uh it's a it's an honor to be here uh, this is my home church even though i travel a decent a bit or a decent amount uh this is christianized home church and i gotta say i am grateful that johnny friesner is my pastor and i think he's just doing a, a great job and uh, yeah yeah give it up absolutely um I appreciate the way he's leading and and how the staff is leading. And I just got to say, it is not an easy thing to do a pastoral succession plan. It's not an easy thing to do that kind of a transition. Uh, I'm involved in lots of those around the country. And um, there's a chunk of them that do not go how our story has went here. Uh, Let's just say that. And uh, so it is great to uh, be a part of this story of how our church has transitioned and the leadership we've had here at the church the last two years. I jump into the teaching, you know, and have a voice crack all of a sudden. Um, you know, I love Christmas time. Um, I just love Christmas time. I've always loved it. I love the longing, the expectation, the hope that uh, that we have as we wait. I mean, I can remember as a little kid hoping to get a big wheel, and uh, it was like a three-wheel little thing. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but um, yellow and red and blue when I had one, and I can remember one Christmas. I was probably five or six years old, because I think we were still living with my grandma, my gran at the time. and. I can remember getting up early going out seeing the big wheel under the christmas tree running back crying out i got a big wheel mom i got a big wheel woke her up you know probably at some ungodly hour you know 5 a.m or 6 a.m and i was so happy to have that big wheel i would ride it up and down my grandma's hallway put like scuff marks about a foot and a half off the side of the drywall with the handles you know the handlebars and i just loved that thing Christmas is a time when you get gifts and you cry out. I just want to show a video of, of some people crying out at Christmas time. So let's roll that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> turn around
1: and look at the lights oh so lots of different crying out from getting your favorite xbox game to going to see a lord concert to i'm not sure what kids that young want to see hamilton but they were excited <laughs> i'm worried um uh to a military dad who was on deployment who dresses up as santa and they realize it's santa you probably didn't catch that there just because the Uh, all the the yelling and screaming what was happening and then a a young man who was colorblind who they were able to buy a special pair of glasses and he could see color now i mean when you get certain gifts and you've been hoping for a thing you you cry out with hope don't you i mean if you've ever had a, a new baby you've done that or a grandbaby in your family you've cried out with hope, I'm sure. Um, If you get the call that you got the job promotion, or you get the envelope in the mail that says you got into the school that you wanted to to get into, you cry out. If you've ever waited for a good medical diagnosis after going through a bad medical diagnosis, then you've likely cried out. Christmas has lots of good cries. family and friends come into town, I know just even this week having uh, my son and daughter-in-law in in town, Jesse and Cassie would, you know, we cried out. When they came out, you know, we we didn't jump up and down and embarrass them, but at the airport, like, oh, great to see you, you know, give them a hug and everything. You cry out when your hopes are met uh, at Christmas time. There's lots of good cries it's good to have emmy home for a month from college and and when i got to see her after i was traveling and she got home while i was traveling and to get to see her and to give a hug you cry out with hope christmas has lots of good cries crying out for hope but there's other cries this season too uh, hard cries too as we think about the situation in the world i think and i have some fict- pictures here you think of crying out in in uh israel because of the trauma there and what's all happened in Israel I think of crying out in the in the Ukraine and Gaza I think of the funerals that have happened in Israel as we see a picture here and a little closer to home crying out after a natural disaster in Clarksville Tennessee last week of course there's more personal cries for hope than just the world scene that I just quickly went through there's cries I'm sure in the in the room of a waning marriage that you're crying over and crying out for hope that perhaps something could, could change. Or, Some have experienced a broken friendship that this time of year reminds you of, and you're crying out in hope that that friendship might get restored. Some have received harsh medical diagnosis, and you're crying out for hope in a miracle. Others, like my own family, uh, are crying out uh, over the loss of a loved one. We cry out for hope that we make it through a season during a time of grieving. What do, we, what do we do if we find ourselves crying out for hope this season? What, what, what should we do if we're crying out for hope? Well, I think this cry for hope is one of the main stories, one of the overarching narratives of our culture, at least an overarching longing that gets put up in lots of our stories. You think through, like, the major stories of our day, which are, I think, for most of us, movies. Movies are this overarching narrative of a story that pulls us in and conveys our cultural values. So many of our movies are are about hope, whether whether you want to go with more recent ones, like, uh, and even, like, Superhero movies, if you, if you think of the last two Avenger movies, they were all about hope. Or, or even movies like Little Women, which was about Joe March having hope that she could be an author as a, as a woman and retain her name on her books. Um, uh, you know, just full disclaimer, never saw Little Women, but I read about it. Um, uh, two older movies, think of Shawshank Redemption. The whole thing is about hope. And Andy Dufresne having hope that he'll get out of prison. You know, and be cleared, or the greatest movie franchise of them all, Star Wars, right? Um, The very first one. Thank you. It deserves a standing. Oh, uh, I mean, what's the first title of the movie? A new hope, right? And it sets the theme for the whole thing, right? Or up to what was it, 2016, Rogue Squadron, when? A very poorly rendered CGI computered uh Leah Leia, Princess Leah receives a flash drive and one of the crew members asks, What's that in your hand? What's her one-word answer? Hope. Oh, yes, another fellow geek in the room. Thank you. <laughs> Donald. Uh, plays drums and those sci-fi movies. Um, Yeah, it's hope. There is this longing in our hearts for hope that I think is part of our cultural narrative. And and there's a story being told all the time that we often don't realize. But in a culture, any country, any culture, any time period of history, there's a story that's being told that tries to shape us into somebody and tries to get to our core longings. Movies, music, pop culture, commentators, books, plays songs all of them are stories that invite us into the story but also in the invitation they begin to shape us Um, some are good and godly some some are not we are we're being told right now a constant story that bigger is better newer is better the latest gadget is better your life will be more made complete if you have a better car better house better shoes better dishwasher detergent will change your life you know um We call this story, materialism. I mean, if you just had the latest pharmaceutical, you too could be healthy, thin, dance and sing on a TV commercial, just like they do. I don't know why musicals have become the thing for pharmaceuticals, but if you just had the right drug, you too could be that happy and sing and dance, right? It's materialism. There's a story of radical individualism. It is this kind of personal autonomy and freedom to the extreme. I have my rights, it doesn't matter if mine negatively affects any of those around me, I'm gonna do what I want. There's a story about politics that gets pushed on us all the time, that every election's the most important one in the history of the world, and that if we get the wrong person, everything goes wrong. If we get the right person, everything goes right. There's a story, and part of all of these stories fit into this, Is a story of idolatry that God isn't really in control. We need the right gadget or the right power or the right person to save us and not to be destroyed. All of these, materialism, radical individualism, idolatry, play on our cry for hope, promising to meet all of our hopes. Now, false stories of hope have been told since the beginning i mean a serpent told it to our oldest ancestors and said you know if you if you would just be in charge of your own life if you would just know right from wrong yourself if if you would just you can't trust god you can trust yourself but not do what god says and you'll have a better life if you do what you think's best i mean you can just go through the old old testament of the story of god and see over and over again people are told a story that says you can't trust God. He's invisible, so create for yourself a golden cow. You can't trust God. He isn't going to miraculously give birth to you, Sarah. You have to have your husband sleep with your slave, and that way you can have a son. You know, you just see this throughout the Old Testament of a story of, about how to have hope, and they're false stories. We are wise when we discern if the story of hope we're being in, invited into is true or false. So pull all that back to a question I wanna answer today. What should we do if we find ourselves crying out for hope this morning? We're crying out for hope this morning, this season. To answer that, we'll turn here in just a few moments to the book of Isaiah, so if you have your Bible either in your smartphone app, you can look there and find Isaiah chapter 40, or if you have your vintage analog version paper Bible, like I do, Large print, by the way, now at this age. Um, You can turn to Isaiah 40 there. I want to set it up. Isaiah is a book written about 700 years, 720 years before the time of Christ's birth. Isaiah has been writing about the judgment of God. Israel, over and over and over again, has believed a false story. They never quit worshiping God. I think this is ultra important for everybody in the room, by the way, this part. They never quit worshiping God. They always worshiped Yahweh. They just wanted to cover all their bases. So they worship lots of other things too i don't know that i'm worried about many of us in the room including myself just saying god i don't want anything to do with him what i am more worried about is us saying i worship god but i also worship this other thing or this other thing or this other thing just to make sure all my needs are met in case he doesn't meet them i guess where most people live israel has been in that place and the problem is When I do not trust God fully and under his protection, and I trust these things, I come under their protection, and their protection is pretty limited. And Israel has done that. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah say they are under judgment. They have now been surrounded by Assyrian Babylon, and it will not be long until they're totally defeated and they're taken away. Their country destroyed and the people taken away into exile. And then things change in chapter 40 and i I want you to listen as they would listen i mean we're answering the question what do we do if we find ourselves crying out for hope this season but as you as, as we read this i want you to imagine you're the people of god You're in Israel, and you're living the very beginning of judgment coming onto your country. There are real armies surrounding the borders of your country who are going to take you over, and God has already said it's going to happen. You're going to get wiped out. Some of us are going to get taken out to exile to foreign countries, hauled off as hostages. And I want you to hear Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort my people. Comfort my people, says your God. Comfort? Comfort my people, God. Wait a second, you just spent like 39 chapters telling us we'd rebelled. We're we're surrounded by armies. Don't you see the armies around us? They're about to wipe with comfort. What kind of comfort is going to come? What are you talking about, Joel? How can I be comforted to have hope? The, The medical diagnosis is still bad. I'm almost out of money. My job stinks. I come home every night with a tight chest, and upset stomach. My marriage is still on the ropes. What are you saying, Comfort, comfort, what are you talking about, God? I'm crying out for hope. Where can there possibly be comfort and hope? Let's read one and two again. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service, the Hebrew there is her warfare, her hard service, her warfare has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double, all her sins how can we have hope when we're surrounded by all the bad stuff God says the hard service the warfare has ended but Joel I I, mean, I, thought, I thought this was written like on the front edge of them being surrounded the, the battle hasn't even begun the war hasn't even happened and, and yet you're saying God says it's over How many of you know if you're surrounded by an enemy and God has already said the battle that hasn't even started has already been won by him, how how many of you know God has won that battle? When you're under a war from your own stresses, your own anxieties, lack of finances, when you're up against sickness, how many of you know that when God says your hard service is over, even though it's just beginning, how many of you know there will be a day when hard service will be over because God Almighty said it will be over? How many of you know that? How many of you know it when you face death and Paul says, we do not grieve as those without hope, we are just asleep, there is a day coming at the sound of a trumpet, Jesus will arrive and all those who have died in Christ will be raised from the dead their spirit reunited with their glorified body, they will be alive. How many of you know that you haven't tasted death yet, that, that there will be a day when you will live forever, because God said so? That's where the comfort can come from, Isaiah saying. He's, he's, he's going fast forward, 39 to, to chapter 40. He, he's going ahead about 150 years. It hadn't happened yet. But he's saying there's a day coming when your hard service, the warfare, the exile will be over and you'll be returned home. Find comfort that in the long-range end game, God wins. And whatever he said is going to happen is going to happen. But maybe you're sitting here and you're going, that's, that's great, Joel. Um, I get it. But what if I know I'm the one who caused my own misery? What if it's my decisions that have caused my hopeless situation? Well, remember, that's exactly Israel's situation in Isaiah. The place they found themselves in, they had done it to themselves. And yet God still says, comfort, comfort my people. Proclaim our sins have been paid for. We've received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. Israel, they're well aware of their sins. And when Isaiah says this to them, he's projecting forward 150 years. There will be a time when we've paid for all our sins. We're gonna get get defeated by another country. Some of us are gonna get exiled away. We're gonna see our cities destroyed, you know. We're paying for our sins. Somehow that brought them hope. I have something more hopeful because we live on the other side of Christ. Our sins too have been paid for. But brothers and sisters, you don't have to pay for your own sins. Oh, I understand there's consequences for our own sins. I got plenty, I could go through a list. But ultimately, I didn't have to pay for my sins. You don't have to pay for your sins because Christ died on a cross. He absorbed all the lusts and angers and jealousies and slanders and gossips and division and brokenness He he took all of that on himself. The worst that humanity could give, he took on himself. And along with that, all the divine just judgment that was obligated humanity because of our rebelliousness, he takes it all on himself and he absorbs every amount of it. No matter what you've done in your own life that has caused your own uh, misery, you can have hope because Jesus has already paid for all the things you have done god says be comforted receive strength have hope if you're crying out for hope because you've messed up You're crying out for hope because you've messed up your own life and you're getting exactly what you think you deserve. Hear God's word to you. Your sins have been paid for. The divine man on the cross paid for them. Confess Christ as Lord. Make him as Lord of your life and you will be saved. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. These are not my words. These are God's Word, and His Word is an enduring Word. For those who are crying out for hope, find enduring hope in God's enduring Word. Later in this chapter, Isaiah drives this point home. If you're crying out for hope, even in hopeless situations, hope is found in God's Word. Take a look at verse 6. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. Their faithfulness is... Is, is like the flowers of the field. He's saying, man, like, people's lives just come and go, and even their faithfulness comes and goes like the flowers of the field. Grass withers, flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. They can't withstand because they're not faithful enough. Surely people are like grass. The grass withers, flowers fall, but the Word of our God endures forever. The old hymn puts it this way, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on jesus name if you're struggling to have hope this season lean in on god's word because god's word will endure forever history has proven this over and over and over again it's proven it even we think of god's word as as lots of things his spoken word the preached word the word that's been passed on we think of god's word as, as this book In 303, Emperor Diocletian put out a decree that all copies of the Bible should be burned. He had no clue that what he was actually doing as the flames licked some of the scriptures, he had no idea that he was actually fanning the embers of faith. 25 short years later, another emperor, Constantine, was touched by a different fire, and he gave the command that copies of the scripture should be made. Church historian Eusebius was a contemporary of Constantine, and he told Eusebius, I want you to work on copying, making 50 handwritten copies of this book. During the Renaissance, the French philosopher and atheist Voltaire said, Christianity will be gone by 100 years after my death. And he said, the Bible will be forgotten. Less than 50 years after Voltaire's death, The Geneva Bible Society was using his printing press to print Bibles and store them at his house. God's Word endures forever, over and over again. For those crying out for hope, find enduring hope in God's enduring Word. Now, how could you do this in your life? Well, one way is the the Hope Devotionals. There's printed copies out in the lobby. You You can also do it online. I mean... Use those. Get into the Word of God. I mean, if you you do it this week, you will find these hope-filled words. You will spend time meditating on Jeremiah 29, a time 150 years ahead of what we read today, when the people of Israel actually were under exile, and they're actually living in a foreign land, surrounded by foreign gods that they were trying to be faithful to God. And God tells them, even though you're in this horrible situation, I know my plans for you, my plans to prosper you. And not to leave you behind. Those are hope-filled words, right? They weren't written during happy, clappy times when it was all rainbows and skittles for Israel. They're like been hauled off to live in another country as slaves. And yet God says, I know the desperate situation you're in. I also know the plans I have for you. If you do the devotions this week, you will meditate on Luke 2 and the original Christmas story. And you will hear how God had promised the Savior would come, and he actually comes in the form of a baby born to a virgin who names him Jesus, which means our God is Deliverer or our God saves or Savior. You will learn that he's named Emmanuel, not just a name, he actually literally is, as the word means God with us. You will hear shepherds who will see the light of God coming into the world, and those shepherds will hear this, god's grace is now on the planet and peace is available for all who receive his favor and his grace those are hope-filled words you will hear words from jesus like i will never leave you nor forsake you so dig into that this week and find hope You know, the ultimate Word of God is Jesus. He's called the Word of God in the opening lines of the Gospel of John. Many in this room have the Word of Christ in them. They have the light. They have Jesus in them. Many in this room have found hope in Jesus. An early church planter named Paul would write from a prison to a church struggling with divisions and false teachings about hope. He put it like this, Christ in you is the hope of glory, or as the New Living puts it, this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. For those who already have this hope, we don't just cry out for hope this season, or or for hope this season. We actually cry out with hope. We cry out giving hope to other people. Take a look at verses 3 and 5 in Isaiah 40. It it speaks of a different kind of crying out, not just crying out for hope, but a crying out with hope. There's a voice of one calling or crying. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Fast forward 700 years, from Isaiah to the first Christmas. The first of two miraculous births is happening. We all know about the second birth. It's the one of Jesus, fully God, fully man, born to a virgin named Mary. But the first miraculous birth is to an elderly couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they named their son John. And after his birth, his dad sings a song alluding to the prophecies actually in Isaiah. Luke 1:76 says this, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. It's an allusion to Isaiah 40. You're going to fill in the potholes that might trip people up coming to know Jesus. You're going to fill in the valleys. And any speed bumps or mountains, you're going to knock them down. You're going to prepare the way to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. 30 years later, that baby, John, would be that prophet, Living in the wilderness, as Isaiah 40 said. Calling people towards God because the kingdom was near. The Messiah Jesus was on the scene, he said. He said God would forgive them and renew them and transform them. And when he did, people realized Isaiah 40 was happening right before their eyes. All four Gospels quote Isaiah 40 verses 3 through 5 when they talk about John. John cried out with hope he called people to live by a different story being told to them for hope he called them to live under the rule and reign of God and his message is just as relevant to us as it was to them he spoke out against the message of materialism and he said when you live under Jesus's kingly authority and live in his kingship it'll lead to generosity not hoarding ironically He spoke against both religious conservatives and religious liberals, the Pharisees and Sadducees. He challenged them to be known by the fruit of their character instead of their pride-filled beliefs and their political connections to Rome and to Governor Herod. He identified the false story of political power that many of his day had put their hope in. He spoke out against those who thought if they just had the right king, everything would be restored to Israel. And he spoke out against the false story of hope found in radical individualism, comfort, and pleasure when he challenged Governor Herod's illicit romantic relationships. John cried out with hope, and many turned towards God. He proclaimed a different story than his culture tried to mold people under. His story included the need for every human to have their sins forgiven. He spoke of a king who didn't come first with power to take over. He spoke of a king who would come as a lamb to be sacrificed for the people's sins. John told a story where humans, people like you and me, can be transformed and empowered and live differently as we're continually flooded by the the presence of Jesus called the Holy Spirit. And at Christmas, John becomes the model for all of those who have hope in Jesus already. And the model is we don't just cry out for hope this season. We cry out with hope. We share the good news with people around us. And Christmas is one of the easiest times to do that people are talking about christmas talking about their plans and and all you have to do is naturally share your plans that yeah i'm getting together family i love family we have these people coming in but man what i love about this season too is i take some time to give thanks to god for jesus it's just natural you can just weave in as as people talk about all the things going on we have a different story to live by and a different story to share A baby was born into the world to save the world, and we have surrendered our lives to him, and we found enduring hope. So as friends talk about the plans we weave in ours, how a simple hope devotional has grounded us in something different than busyness and pressures of the season, and you could give them one. Or you share how this coming Sunday you're going to the Christmas Eve service, and there are invite cards on the the back table that you could share. You could say that, you take time to honor Jesus because he's the point of this season. As people share their favorite things about the season, you feel free to share your favorites, music and decorations, that special ornament you hang every year. I still have an egg carton angel made when I was five years old. It has survived, and I hang that thing every year. That was just free. It wasn't a part of the sermon. Um, <laughs> but you also weave in your love for Advent. A time to pause, to remember, and long for the first coming of Christ even as you long for the second coming of Christ and even as you have hope that He can come to your everyday life now. You have been given a gift if you're a follower of Jesus. You have found enduring hope in Christ. So my challenge to you is to cry out with this hope so others can find it. For those crying out for hope, find enduring hope in God's enduring word. Then start crying out with hope so others can find hope. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up as I close. And as they come up, I wanna tell you a story. On Christmas Eve, 1906, a gentleman named Reginald Fessenden, a 33-year-old university professor who was a former chemist for Thomas Edison, did something people thought was impossible. He used this new kind of generator and he he had a, a microphone And so he speaks into the microphone, and for the first time in human history, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. And he began, his very first words were this, and it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. He began in a clear and strong voice, hoping he was reaching across the distances as he hoped he would. Shock telegraph radio operators and ships uh, were astonished because the little speakers used to just do beep, 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 beep. Now they're hearing a voice come through. Wireless operators at, at newspapers, which used to get the teletype information to share stories around the world, it came through beep, beep, beeps, or just did the teletype thing. Now through the tiny speaker, they heard a man's voice. To those who caught this broadcast, it must have seemed like a miracle to hear a voice somehow transmitted the people so far away. Some may have even thought it was the voice of an angel. Pheasanton was probably unaware of the sensation he was causing on ships around the world and in offices. He couldn't have known that men and women were running around rushing to the wireless units to hear a person's voice come out of it for the first time. It was a Christmas Eve miracle. And after finishing his resuscitation of the birth of Christ, Pheasanton picked up his violin And he began to play, O Holy Night. The first song that was ever sent through the air, through radio waves. On that night, as a weary world cried out, Pheasanton's voice and violin cried out with a thrill of hope. Today, this week, this season, may we all do the same. For those crying out for hope, my prayer is you will find hope in God's this morning. And for those who already have that hope in your heart, my prayer is you will cry out with hope so others can find hope.